as terrible as the suffering and the death of Jesus really were, the name Good Friday is entirely appropriate because it marks the dramatic culmination of God's plan to save his people from their sins. One author summarized it this way, this Friday is good because even while powerful men were conspiring to kill the Son of God, God himself was acting to save the world from itself once for all. Even while the world's authorities were conspiring to perpetuate history's greatest evil, God was working to bring about history's greatest good. Charles Spurgeon once preached this, dwell where the cries of Calvary can be heard. And that's what we'll do this evening. We'll find ourselves near to the horrific scene of our Savior on the cross, listening to what he has said. If you are here tonight and you are not a Christian, I just want you to know the invitation this evening is for you to listen and to consider. Consider what God's word says about your great need and be arrested. Allow your mind to be captivated and your heart arrested by the depths of love that Christ has for sinners. And for those of you who are Christians, I invite you to just revel, to marvel in the unrivaled love that is found at Calvary. We sing about the blood because in his wounds we've come to understand God's hatred of sin and his love for his people. Oh, the grace that flows from the blood of Jesus, the healing that's found in his wounds, the love that we hear in the cries from the cross, and the joy that flows to hopeless people who, because of their sin, have been left in utter ruin, deserving of wrath and separated from God. And yet, because of Good Friday, there can be a different ending. To that story. The first saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Found in Luke chapter 23, this first saying really does capture the essence of what the cross is all about forgiveness. It reveals the heartbeat of the Son of God amidst his agony forgiveness. A love for his enemies is what we hear cried from the cross. This cry comes from the one who could have dispatched 20 legions of angels to take out every person that had any role in the crucifixion. And he didn't call down legions of angels. Rather, Jesus models what he had taught his disciples. To love your enemies. J.C. Ryle noted that as soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow from Christ, the great high priest begins to pray. And that's what this first cry is. It is a prayer 
on behalf of people who do not know what they are doing. But why would you pray for forgiveness? And how in the world can forgiveness be found in such a horrific instrument as the Roman cross? Well, God reveals to us in and through his word that all of humanity, are, we're hardwired because of the first sin of Adam and Eve. We're all hardwired and we're born with hostility. Hostility towards God. In this rebellion, we were created to live life for God and his glory, but we exchanged that, that truth for a lie. Namely, the lie that it's better to live life our own way and for our own glory. And the Bible calls that condition sin. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. This condition of sin leads us to to prefer God's absence rather than his presence. And sin isn't just a collection of wrongdoings. It's not just merely breaking the rules. No, sin is first and foremost a condition that leads us to love things that don't please the very one who created us. It's fundamentally a distortion of our loves. Everything that you think and everything that you feel and everything that you speak and everything that you do It springs from this well of wrong love. We're trapped and we're blind and we're separated from this God who loves us incomparably. Sin is this active force that's bent on undoing God's purpose in our lives. And so we will never be able to understand the nature of the cross apart from the nature of our sin. Because in our sin, we are guilty. We're guilty of rebellion against this God who's holy, who's perfectly pure. And rebellion against this God who's worth, uh, who, who uh, is worthy of eternal worship. Rebellion against him? The just punishment is an eternal penalty. And that punishment is just and right. And that's the greatest need of every human is to be forgiven. We say, well, how? How can we be forgiven? How is forgiveness possible? And that's what Good Friday is declaring. The microphone, the megaphone could not be any louder. God is revealing this to us, these truths to us, not to shame us, but to diagnose us. To show us where our great need lies and to show us his perfect solution. And his solution is better than your and my feeble efforts to just try harder. To just do better. To not go down that road anymore. We can't make ourselves clean. We need a God who can intervene. And praise be to God, Good Friday declares that he has Jesus spoke this prayer directly to those who were in the process of killing him. And yet he also utters this prayer indirectly to all sinners. Again, I love the way Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, I love this prayer because I love the indistinctiveness of it. He went on to say, Jesus prayed for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. 
Spurgeon said, Jesus prays for them, not specifying who all is included. The them gives hope to all sinners. Spurgeon said, it's a pronoun that I find myself able to crawl into. Forgiveness is available to them. Because of the cross, forgiveness is available to you and to me because of the cross. By humble faith, Spurgeon said, appropriate the cross by treasuring the Christ upon it, by trusting in him, by turning from your sin. Friends, there is room for you in the word them. Countless sinners have crawled into that word to find forgiveness. And on the cross, Jesus takes all of our wrong loving and thinking and doing and all of the actions that characterize us. He takes our very guilt. He takes all of it. He destroys the power of sin in our lives. And that's how he is able to offer forgiveness. This is why Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. On the cross, Jesus is taking the judgment for your sin so that there can be forgiveness in the place of judgment. He hangs on the cross to achieve forgiveness. You no longer have to be impure. Because of the cross, you can be pure. You no longer have to be rebels. Because of the cross, you can be deeply loved children. You no longer have to be guilty because of the cross. You can be forgiven. And so this evening we look to the cross to both feel the conviction of our sin. The cross is intended to help you see the horror of your sin and to lead you to hate your sin. But we don't, we don't merely look to the cross for conviction of sin. We also look to the cross for relief from it. Not just in sorrow, but in joy. Not just in shame, but in hope. Because on the cross, our Savior hangs and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Leads us to the second cry of the cross. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus utters this to one of the criminals who was crucified with him on that day. One wonders if that first cry about, Father, forgive them, leads to then this second cry. The conversion of this previously hostile scoffer of the Son of God who when we're first introduced to him is hurling insults at Christ. And this man has a dramatic change of heart. And the question that you you ponder is how in the world in this moment does this criminal look over and see anything kingly about Jesus? What in the world would lead this criminal to think, yes, this indeed is the one to whom all of the scriptures point?
pointed to. The one in whom all hope lies. This insight seems to be most hidden on the cross. He didn't hear a sermon. The criminal doesn't clean his act up. No, but what we find is it is in the work of the spirit of the living God who changes this criminal's heart. Once a scoffer, now a believer. God helps this criminal see what he cannot see on his own, namely his sinfulness and Christ's sinlessness. And it's such a good reminder for us. The gift that the criminal receives is not merely forgiveness. Praise be to God. He experiences forgiveness. But the gift that Jesus promises is today you will be with me. The greatest gift that one could ever, ever fathom found in being with God himself. In the midst of his suffering as a sin bearer, Jesus is alert to this plea and he immediately responds. The thief appeals to unknown mercy at some point in the future. And Jesus says, no, 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 today I will receive you. I will save you today and I will keep you eternally because you will be with me in paradise. That which was lost because of Adam and Eve is now restored on this day for that sinner. And Charles Spurgeon says, Jesus says in this moment to all the heavenly powers, I bring sinners with me. Behold the man upon the cross, because he is a friend of sinners. He was saving sinners up to his last breath. And if he was eager to save the thief, then may we be reminded this evening that there is much more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in you and in me. And the two thieves confront each of us this evening with the decision we must, we must make in relation to the one who's in the middle. You either trust him for the forgiveness of sin, resulting in paradise, or in your sin you remain. And because of that, there is judgment resulting in eternal separation in a place called hell. And so you have a decision to make tonight. Which side of the cross are you on? And I would beg with you, just identify with the thief who found mercy that day. And that's available for all and any who turn from their sin and trust in the work of Jesus on their behalf.